So we are in this time of Advent, and this time of Advent is the time of arrival. It's the time that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, and there's a lot of things that we even wait for during this time of arrival, this time of Advent. We, we do think of traditions. There are traditions that we kind of long for and wait for that when they come. We wait for silly things like even peppermint mochas that come out during this time, and I get mine, and I have to get the cap off real quick so I can suck up all of the, the whipped cream and the chocolate on top. And, but at the time, we, we long for it. We get to listen to Christmas music we love and albums that we listen to. And may we, as we have these small little advents, these small little arrivals that come into our life during this time, may they point us ultimately to the giver of all good gifts, and ultimately that arrival of Jesus Christ. And we do celebrate the birth of Christ, and we celebrate and we look to his second coming as well. And during this time of Advent, we go through these themes of hope, of love, of joy, and peace. And they're themes that we think on during this time, and we look back to that first arrival of Jesus Christ, who was born, who was born to a poor and humble virgin, to Mary who was laid in a feeding trough. And we look to the themes and we look and we wait and anticipate knowing that Christ will return. And we think of the second coming and our eternity that we will spend with him. So we think on these things. Another thing that someone pointed out in our DNA group, is actually Paul Thomas pointed it out as we were studying together. He was talking about how these themes of hope, of love, of joy, and peace there are things that, that all people, all of humanity, desires these things. There's no one that doesn't desire hope, love, joy, and peace. It's because we're created for these things. And they all find their fulfillment and their source in Jesus Christ. Now, in the world, of course, there's a lot of forgeries, a lot of knockoffs of this source and this fulfillment of joy, peace, love, and hope. But they all fall short. They fall so short. And they ultimately lead us away from the Lord and lead to, to ultimately to death and separation and an eternity apart from hope, joy, love, and peace. They just fall so short. You think of our time in the Psalms. We talk about this summer about refuges that we, we kind of find false refuges in the world. And those refuges end up being just refuges of bones. Or we talked about also as we went through the Psalms about, again, shepherds. How there's so many things in this world that want to shepherd our heart. Even sometimes we turn into our own heart to shepherd our own heart. But they're all bad shepherds that do not lead to flourishing in abundant life. But we find abundant life. We find hope. We find love, joy, and peace in Jesus Christ. We're reminded of those things during this time of Advent. Now as we, we go through these Sundays of Advent, we're going to do a little bit different. Um, we're going to build you... Every week, we're actually going to be in the Old Testament. We're going to look at Old Testament prophecies, scriptures that point to Jesus. And these are passages that have been uh, parts of traditional Bible readings in the church in different times. So, so they're nothing new. And I've been helped just pointed this way by an Advent guy that kind of is like, ah, I think this is the direction we need to go. And I'm excited about this time. And even we're going to break up the time. The sermon will be a little bit different than normal. We're going to look at first, we're going to look at the context. And we normally do that. If we start in a new passage in a new book, we look at the context. But we're going to do that. We're going to first look at the context and we're going to look at the text, the scripture itself. 
Then we're going to look and see how it points us to Jesus. And then finally, we're going to look and see how we, through these truths, find hope today. So we'll see that each week we're kind of going to walk through it that way. That'll be a little bit of the roadmap. So a little bit different than normal. And today, we're going to be in Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. So if you want to look through that, and, and it's in the Old Testament, and if you find Psalms and you can scroll past, you'll see Isaiah eventually, and then come to Jeremiah. And we're going to be in Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. So I encourage you to, to look that up or... Find it in your Bible or on your screen or whatever, however you're reading today. Jeremiah 33. Let me read those verses, 14 through 16, a short passage today. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So the context. What is the context here in Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah is an Old Testament book. And it records the life and the prophecies of Jeremiah. The words of Jeremiah given to him by God to the people. And sometimes, or maybe often, Jeremiah, if you read any intro on Jeremiah, it's going to say that Jeremiah is often referred to as a weeping prophet. And he is a weeping prophet because he suffered a lot of trials and difficulties, and he had this message of judgment upon the people. The judgment was coming, and that the Lord is going to bring judgment upon Judah, upon Jerusalem, because they've had a persistent rejection of God and his word, they've just persistently rebelled from the Lord. And, and the word comes now, the judgment is, is coming. And yet, in the middle of Jeremiah, in these chapters, in verse, chapters 30 through 33, we have all these words of hope. It's often called the book of consolation in the middle of it. And we have this whole, there's almost a respite from the judgments and hope breaks forth and breaks in. And we see words of hope of God's steadfast love is long suffering for his people there's words of salvation to come there's words of God gathering his people again there's words of a new and everlasting covenant that the Lord will write upon their hearts that they'll be able to obey the words of God and a, a savior a king to come and we see these things and then also though we see in the context of these few chapters we see that Jeremiah he's actually being imprisoned at this point, imprisoned by his own people, by, by his own king. We see that in chapter 32. So if you're in 33, just look over a little bit in 32, and we see the context, the immediate context. Let me read verses 1 through 5. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, so the Babylonian king. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon, of Nebuchadnezzar, was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him, saying, Why do you prophesy and say... 
Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. So here's the word that Jeremiah, he was speaking these words of judgment, and that Zedekiah, that Babylonians, they are going to defeat you, and you're going to be captured. And Zedekiah was like, I don't like that, so I'm going to shut you in prison. Um, I'm going to keep you in guard. And that's the context of what is happening here. And we see that first that, that Nebuchadnezzar, he's coming against the people from Babylon. He's, he's at their doors. They're besieging Jerusalem, and that's been going on for months. And, and ultimately, he will take and destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple and send the rest of the people, into the majority, back into exile. And they've already had two waves of exile at other times where Babylon has come and defeated them and sent people away. And a third one is coming, and King Zedekiah is not wanting to hear any of it. And things are bleak. You have an army coming against you, a nation that you know is going to defeat you, and things are not good. It's a lot worse. It's a thousand times worse than our time of pandemic. It really is. This is a bleak time in the people, in the lives of these people. Judgment is coming. It's almost complete. The end destruction of Nebuchadnezzar and his army is knocking at the door of Jerusalem. And in the midst of this, we hear then these words of hope. These words of a few, of future restoration, of salvation, of a Messiah King that are spoken of. And now these are promises that we see in these chapters that they're rock-solid words of hope. I've mentioned several times that when we talk about hope, we, we do talk about it just in a flippant way. Where we talk about, yeah, I hope this Christmas I get a, I get a pony. Or I hope for a white Christmas this year. Might get it, might not. Hope for it. I hope the, the Broncos hire a new coaching staff next year. We might get it. We might not. I don't know. I'm just joking. No, don't be too offended. But, but you know, these are rock-solid truths about hope and about rescue and about salvation and a Messiah to come. And we've seen this hope begin to be completed in the birth of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And he ushered in the kingdom a kingdom that will be completed one day and made full. And so we, we need to look at this passage today in, in these, these chapters and say, what, it, what was the hope promised to them at that time? These are some of the hopes that their enemies would ultimately be defeated, that God would gather them again and return them to their land, that, they would, that God would restore them, that there would be a new relationship, a restored even relationship with them and the one true God an everlasting covenant that would be given to them. I encourage you, if you have time this week, even read through Jeremiah 30 through 33 and just underline hope, promises. Let me just read a few. I'm just going to just pick out some of them out of... This is from in chapter 30 first. Um, Verse 3, when I will restore, I restore the fortunes of my people. I will bring them back to the land. Verse 7, yet he, he shall be saved out of it. Verse 9, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. 
then fear not. Another one, verse 22 of chapter 30. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. Chapter 31. Verse 9. With weeping they shall come. And with, and with pleas of mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Uh, verse 13, then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. And it just continues on verse 31, chapter, our, our chapter 31, verse 31. We talk, see the new covenant that's going to come. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Verse 33, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then verse 30, or chapter 32, we see all sorts of different things. Verse 9, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to him. So more truth about what God is going to do comes to him. Verse 18, you, shall, you show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilty. Of father, the guilt of fathers to the children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. So we continue, just lots of truth, lots of promises. One last one in chapter 32, verse 40. I will make with them an everlasting covenant, and I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts, and they will not turn from me. So... All of these words of hope, of restoration that goes out to them. These, these words of hope, uh, they are for the contemporary audiences. There's judgment coming. Babylon is at their door. They're about to lose all that they know. Lose home and land and culture and language and identity. And they're going to go and be foreigners, be refugees in another Land. So what they're losing is a lot worse than us not being able to, to eat in a re- our favorite restaurant for a few months or going to Starbucks and sitting down or whatever it might be. This is a thousand times worse. But we can also pause and know, too, that uh, throughout this world, there are those who experience every year this type of loss. Uh, one of the statistics for 2021, there are actually about 84 million displaced people in the world today either displaced from their country or from their homeland or in their country, and they're displaced for one reason or the other, that receive this kind of loss. Um, we have a lot to be thankful for. But even in the midst of this loss, these words of hope come to the people. And they're also for those words of hope for those who will then be sent into exile. They can go and hear again the words of Jeremiah and be reminded that hope will come restoration will come, a Messiah will come. And then also for us today, that throughout the ages, these are recorded words of God, of God's faithfulness, of His salvation, and they find their fulfillment, we're going to see, in Jesus Christ. So they're for us today. So let's look, as we looked at the context, let's look at our verses that we're looking at. Look at the text today, Jeremiah 33, 14 through 18. Again, be reminded that as Jeremiah writes this, he's, he's locked up. If you look at 
33, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. So in the midst of this context, he still writes of hope. There's hope to come. And he begins in verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. He said, the day is coming, a day of salvation, a day of restoration. It will come. Uh, This is a done deal. The day will come. The promises that God has made in these words of hope, they will be fulfilled. The day is coming. He makes that clear that that is what is going to happen. And then verse 15 In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch, a righteous righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So here, this is one of the huge promises and fulfillments of that of a good, just, and righteous king that's to come. One who is from the righteous branch of David. He's from the house and the line of David, and the Lord is going to fulfill that promise. So one will come. And we know that that's a a great, 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 great grandson of David. And we will see that in a little bit. And if you can remember, this isn't the first time we've talked about this, uh, of the prophecies of one, a king to come from the line of David. Think of our study in Ruth, even. Uh, How in the beginning of Ruth, you have Naomi, who who loses her her husband, who dies, and her, her two sons die. And They've married, but they don't have any kids. So Naomi's left without anyone to kind of carry on and to be a help and to, to provide. And she's, she sees herself as just one who is bitter, without hope. But then the end of Ruth, remember the end of Ruth, God provides through, through Ruth and Boaz. A, a baby is born and is part of this line of Ruth and her family and a child or of uh, Naomi and her family is born to her. And this is from Ruth 4, 16 through 17. Then Naomi took the child and laid, and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to you, Naomi. Remember, Naomi is one with her husband passed away and her two sons, and there's no hope. And yet now there's a grandchild that is hers, and they name him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. We see this continuation of the line of David that leads us to Jesus Christ. And then we see that in those days as well, in those days the people would return to the land. There's going to be restoration that happens when this king comes. We see that in verse 12. We're going to, we're going to step out a little bit of our passage, uh, 33 verse 12. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in this place that is waste without man or beast, and in all of its cities there shall again be habitation of shepherds resting their flocks. So this place is destroyed, a king will come, people will come back, and and even sheep will be cared for by shepherds, um, which kind of points us ahead a little bit. We're going to see, it kind of makes us think of some, some stories we know of the birth of Christ, right? But how is this king described then? How will he act What are his acts? Well, he is righteous. He will execute justice and righteousness in the land. He is a king that can rightly also take the throne. And he is one that uh, at Jeremiah's time, there is another king 
that has imprisoned Jeremiah, has rejected God's word. His name is Zedekiah, and Zedekiah means the Lord is righteous, but he wasn't very righteous. And we're saying now there's one who will come who will be a righteous king, a righteous king. And we see that he's also called the Lord is our righteousness. We see that in chapter 23, verse 5 through 6. There's another prophecy of this king to come. Let me read that one to you. Again, Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. So Zedekiah, his name was Lord is righteousness, but he was... He was far from that, but there's this prophecy. One is coming. There will be a king who will be righteous, and there will be one that all of our hearts long for. We do. We do desire. Our hearts long for righteous rulers that lead us, that can help us. And there is one, Jesus Christ. I just think of every presidential cycle. Uh, most of the candidates run on some form or another of a, a platform of hope, of rightness, of justice to come. They might define it in different ways, but that's what they offer out. But by the time we get to midterm elections, everyone votes the other way for, to show that they, they didn't feel like that was ever fulfilled. And it happens throughout every, almost every political cycle. It's because they, they just fall flat. We can't look to leaders of this world to come in and bring us true hope and joy and peace. No, they're found in Jesus Christ. Everything else will just frustrate us. Amen, right? Then verse 16, in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The land, it's too, will be called the Lord is his righteousness. It'll have the mark of God. There's salvation. So this king is one who is a savior who will bring salvation. The people will be secure. There's true hope, love, joy, and peace to be found in him. And there's this reminder of this. There's one who will come who's from the branch of David, a righteous one who will be this good king. He will be a king that will will continue forever. So there's this hope in the midst of a bleak time in the life of the people of God. Hope. And as we look at this, we do see that this points us ahead to King Jesus. So we should look to Jesus. We should look to him. So let's look back at these verses and see how this does remind us that our hope is in Jesus alone. Verse 14 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill. So the days, the days are coming. You think of those shepherds that will return to the field that are prophesied in verse 12. And we know the story of the birth of Jesus And we can't help but think of the shepherds that were caring for their flock that had returned to the land. And to them, the announcement comes of the birth of Jesus Christ, this one who will be the branch of David, the one who will be the true king. And the angels come and they announce these things. And he is the righteous branch of David. He is one who can definitely and truly sit as one who is king in that line of David. We can look back at the genealogy of Matthew and of Luke and see that he is of the line of David. 
and he's just, and he is a righteous king, Jesus is. And he came to make all things right, and he's begun that. We, saw, we see in the ministry of Jesus Christ, just think of the record of his life, of his ministry that we have in the Gospels. Is he was one who came, and he healed the sick. He, he healed the broken. He raised the dead. And he, all these things are showing that all the curses of sin are being undone, and everything has begun to become new in Christ Jesus. And he goes to the, to the outcast. He goes to the widow. He goes to the poor. He goes to the sinner. He came to seek and save the lost. Amen? He came to be one who was a friend of sinners. People said that of Jesus in a mocking way, but it was true and one, a phrase that, that he would embrace as one who was a friend of sinners. And we have one who is the righteous one who came to bring us the unrighteous through his death on the cross that he might bring us to God, that we might be able to stand right before a holy God because of him. He is a righteous and just king. We see that in his life and his ministry. In verse 16, again, he's, Jesus is a victorious Savior. He's a victorious Savior. We've been talking about that in Ephesians. Let me just read and remind us again of Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen? And he's the bringer of righteousness. He's the one who brings righteousness. Jerusalem is called, and the Lord is our righteousness. And Jesus is that promised king to bring true righteousness. I think of the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ in Luke 2, verses 9 through 14. Let me read that. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, those shepherds, right? The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. So we see... Our Savior comes victoriously. And two, with the kingdom ushered in with Christ, there's an already and a not yet. We see that Jesus has come, and through his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, he's ushered in the kingdom of God as, as he rules in our lives of, his, of the believers who have trusted in him. And the gospel message, message continues to go out through his church, both locally and abroad, and the kingdom continues to spread. And yet, at the same time, there is that of that kingdom to be fully fulfilled. We knew, do know that Jesus said in Matthew 4, 17, he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we know that we long for that second coming of Christ where there will be a full consummation, a completion of the kingdom of God. And as Jesus said in John 14, he said to his disciples, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself 
that where I am, you may be also. And then he ends those speaking to the disciples and says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But we know in Christ that he's, what he's begun, he will complete. And that's why he could say in John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world and he will, he will fulfill that. He will make all things right and all things new and we can have great hope. So we think today, well, how then, now that we've, we've looked at the passage and looked at Jesus, how do we look to hope today from these truths in this passage? Well, we actively, we actively are, should be waiting and walking in the hope of Jesus. We should be actively waiting and walking in the hope of Jesus. Advent, it's a time, it is a time of waiting. Just ask our kids or any kids, it's a time of waiting. Um, where you wait through this month. And we, we, do, we all wait for different things during this time. We wait for the celebration with family. We wait for that time of giving and receiving gifts. But I hope that we wait and we're excited about this time of being able to read and meditate on the birth of Jesus and his life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection and to walk through those things, to have special services throughout the month and have Christmas Eve service and have opportunity to, to share the gospel and be able to do outreach ministry and provide gifts for children and love on families. And we should wait for these things, but we also wait for that second coming of Jesus Christ. We wait for all hope to be fully realized. Well, there'll be a time where we no longer have to wait for hope because it'll be just fully realized in our lives and in the world and in God's kingdom. So we are to be a people of hope knowing and leaning on the truths of Scripture, like Philippians 1, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So we have that hope. We are people of hope, and though we do wait. Uh, there's a time of waiting, and, and more often than not, I would say waiting is not fun. Uh, I don't know if some of you, like you t say the top things you love to do, and you probably wouldn't put waiting on the top of that list. I just love to wait. I'm just a waiter. I just like waiting. Waiting in line at Safeway, I love it. I love if the checker's really slow, that's a good day for me. I love that. Or I love when I have to go to the DMV. It's just so fun. But now it's, it's amazing. Almost now That's one good thing in the pandemic. You can almost do everything online. We, we registered our car. We got plates. We did everything. I just had to go in and grab them. Stuff mailed to me. No waiting. But we wait in this time of pandemic. We wait. We wait for when our mandate's going to be done. I checked my Larimer County, looking at the numbers, hoping to see them go down. And we just wait or waiting for test results. We don't, man, this is no fun. Waiting for Christmas moment, morning, waiting. This is a statement by a pastor, Pastor Austin Hill. He said this. I thought this was helpful. Waiting is a visible sign that we live in a fallen world, that not all is as it should be. For if everything were as desired, we wouldn't have to wait for it. So we're reminded, waiting should remind us that things aren't as they should be, but that one day they will be as they should be, and waiting will be done. But as we wait, too, we shouldn't just wait passively. It's a little bit like... If you've ever been in between jobs or you're in that state right now and, and you wait, 
Um, but you don't wait passively. You trust in the Lord that he's going to provide, and you, you seek out jobs, but then you actively apply, and you make it your job. You're applying, you're asking, you're looking online, you're doing these things. You're actively waiting, and there's a sense where we actively wait. We wait in the hope of Christ and his return and eternity to come, and, and we wait, but we wait actively following Jesus. We wait following him and seeking him and seeking him to be our good shepherd to guide us, and we actively wait looking to Jesus pointing others to Jesus, using our time and our treasure and our talents to be on mission with Jesus. It's like the upcoming Christmas festival. That's a time to actively wait. We're excited that Christ will return, that he has come, and we have new life and hope in him. And then we get to actively be a part of that by loving and caring for our neighbors, by giving to families the true story of 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 Christ and of Christmas and inviting them back to hear more about Jesus Christ and being actively on mission throughout our life and doing that together. So as we think of hope and we think of even just struggles that we've had throughout this year, we, we don't need to despair when we walk through suffering and we can know that our hope is rooted in truth that we have. Our hope is rooted in rock solid truth. It's not that fleeting hope of hoping to get this or that for Christmas, right? It's rooted in the truth that, that we, we are made in the image of God. We're made for true relationship with God, our creator. And we know that in love, God sent his one and only son to come, to live, to die. He came not to be served, but to serve and to seek and save the lost, to die on the cross and rise again. Amen? So the people, the people of God in this passage, they're facing destruction, a loss of everything by the destruction coming from Babylon, uh, the judgment of God, and yet true hope, true hope rooted in what God is going to do was spoken to them, that God would bring them back to the promised land, that he would restore his people, that he would bring a forever king that he would bring a new covenant that would be one that would change everything. A covenant written on their heart. Instead of sin being written on their heart, they would have these, these words of God written on their heart. And, and hearts turned from stone to flesh. And hope was spoken to them in the midst of destruction. And today we, we can face hardships and, and trials that we've faced in this last year. Maybe you look back on 2021, and you just see a lot of destruction, and we can be reminded that there is great hope. Christ is not dead, but he is, he is risen. He's not in the grave, but he is alive. And our hope is a real hope in Jesus, who is alive and working in us and with us and through us. So that question is, where else would we go? How could we not go to the one who has words of eternal life? And Jesus, he too will return and his kingdom will be fully realized. We don't need to lose heart. May we have hope. And this morning, maybe you come and you've been seeking hope and just coming up empty. Um, you recognize that you, you, you just at a loss. And this morning, I encourage you to put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Turn from your, your sins and yourself and your seeking after other refuges and other shepherds, other things to give you hope and know that your one true hope is found in Jesus Christ who, who is fully God and fully man who died and rose again victorious 
for us, that you can have new life in him. And, and we are reminded to be people who will walk in hope. I'm just going to close by reading just a few lines from a song by Matt Mayer called Christ is Risen. When we went up to Calvary New City, this was one of the songs they sang. I'll just close by reading these, these few phrases from